Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. It is time now for The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Good evening, Lawrence. Good evening, Evan. We're going to pick up exactly where you just left it with Heidi on this, on the question of abortion and what Donald Trump has been saying about it and not saying about it in his presidential campaign. Yeah, he seems to want to take credit for putting the Supreme Court justices on it. But then when he realizes it may be a losing issue, he doesn't talk about it as much. So he wants to have his cake and eat it, too. But then again, not a surprise for Trump. Yeah. And it's one of the one of the many reasons he stayed out of those debates. So he never had to discuss it uh, with any other candidates around him. We're going to get into it right now. And thank you. Good to see my friend. Thank you. Well, this program is coming to you tonight from a room in a building named after a billionaire. And that building is located in the middle of a campus of buildings named after that same billionaire. Rockefeller Center was named after John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire who lived four blocks north from where I'm sitting right now. Billionaires have always loved New York. But now that Donald Trump is facing more than half a billion dollars in civil judgments against him in New York courts, the Fox Propaganda Channel, which is located in Manhattan, a block away from Rockefeller Center, wants you to think that New York is a bad place to do business because it has laws. New York was already a loser state. Like California is a loser state. There are many loser states because of policy, high taxes, uncompetitive regulation. It was already on the top of the list of being a loser state. I would never invest in New York now. Well, New York doesn't exactly need his money because, among other things, New York has more billionaires than it knows what to do with. And most of the rest of those billionaires are in California, that other loser state, the richest state in the union, which has an economy that would rank as the fifth largest economy in the world if California were a country. The states that that guy calls loser states, California and New York, are always competing for the most expensive home sale in the country. The current winner is New York, where a billionaire bought an apartment five blocks north of John D. Rockefeller's old apartment for $238 million. $238 million to have a box in the sky with bathrooms and a kitchen. That's how much billionaires love New York, especially New York City, especially Manhattan, whose courts have visited more than half a billion dollars in judgments against Donald Trump just this year. No billionaire in Manhattan is going to leave because of what happened to Donald Trump in court. Billionaire Mike Bloomberg is staying. You can't find a prouder New Yorker than Mike Bloomberg, who served three terms as the city's mayor, the only billionaire mayor in American history. In fact, New York, New Yorker Mike Bloomberg was the richest elected official in American history. And nothing can get him to leave New York City. My first guest tonight, the governor of New York, 
was an aide to New York's senior Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. When Senator Moynihan got fed up with the kind of talk you just heard from that guy on Fox about New York, and Senator Moynihan started publishing a report every year to show how much more money the state of New York contributed to the federal government than it got back from the federal government. And in that report, New York really was a loser state, which is to say the state of New York lost money because of its membership in the United States of America. And the state of California lost money because of its membership in the United States of America. And the states that that guy called winner states later in that interview all really were winner states because they won money from the United States Treasury, meaning they all collected more money from the federal government than they ever paid in. The state that that guy went on to praise, the states that he really praised, were North Dakota and West Virginia, two of the least desirable states to live in according to their population numbers in a country where we are all free to choose where we live. North Dakota ranks 48th in population. West Virginia ranks 40th. No one on Fox wants to live in North Dakota, and no one on Fox wants to live in West Virginia. I've been to both of those beautiful states more than once, and they have entranced me by their beauty and the charm of their people. But I, for one, couldn't make a living in either one of them. In fact, most people you see on Fox live in New York, where Fox has always been headquartered and will always be headquartered. The state of New York has been supporting the federal government from the beginning, first by the collection of tariffs in the largest port in the country, where tar when tariffs were the largest source of the federal government's revenue at first. And then throughout the 20th century and 21st century, through the income tax, when New York had more top income taxpayers than any other state in the union. Interstate highways in Alabama were not paid for by the people of Alabama. New York City subways were not paid for by the people of Alabama or the taxpayers of North Dakota or the taxpayers of West Virginia. New York City is economically the most dynamic city in human history. And if the laws of New York enforced against Donald Trump cause him financial pain, that won't stop any billionaire or any business from thriving in New York as they always have and always will. Donald Trump wants to make New York a loser state in another way. Donald Trump and the Republican Party want the women of the state of New York to lose the rights that they have to control their own bodies and their own health and that the rights that they've had for more than 50 years. Now that the judges, Donald Trump appointed the Supreme Court, overturned Roe versus Wade, Donald Trump wants to overturn the law of New York State and the law of California and the law of Massachusetts and the law of 30 other states that guarantee women the same protections that they have had under Roe versus Wade. Here's Donald Trump with Tim Russert on Meet the Press in 1999. Well, look, I'm... I'm very pro-choice. I hate the concept of abortion. I hate it. I hate everything it stands for. I cringe when I listen to people debating the subject. But you still, I just believe in choice. Sixteen years later, Donald Trump said this. 
I've evolved on many issues over the years, and you know who else has is Ronald Reagan evolved on many issues. What happened is friends of mine years ago were going to have a child, and it was going to be aborted, and it wasn't aborted, and that child today is a total superstar, a great, great child. And I saw that, and I saw other instances, and I am very, very proud to say that I am pro-life. And then came the Chris Matthews moment. Do you believe in punishment for abortion? Yes or no, as a principle? Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. And then Donald Trump said this. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe Well, v. if Wack? we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be, ha- that will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. I will say this, it will go back to the states, and the states will then make a determination. Well, he was right about overturning Roe versus Wade. The New York Times is reporting that Donald Trump is now privately discussing a federal abortion ban that he would sign into law as president. And so, as of tonight, voters have 259 days to understand the stakes. In the presidential election on this issue, Donald Trump will sign a national abortion ban into law if he is elected president and Republicans control the Congress. And Joe Biden will veto a national abortion ban if he is reelected and if Republicans control the Congress. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it. Last week, in a special congressional election on Long Island, abortion rights was the clearest issue separating the winner from the loser. Thinking about supporting Republican Mazi Phillip? Listen to what she just said on abortion. I have a faith on the Supreme Court and make the right decision. You heard it. Mazi thinks overturning Roe v. Wade was the right decision. New Yorkers can't trust Mazi to protect abortion rights. Vote for Tom Swazi. Tom Swasey became the Democratic nominee in that special election after a meeting with New York's Governor Kathy Hochul, who then decided to endorse him and went on to raise $200,000 for the Swasey campaign. Tom Swasey will be sworn in as the newest member of the House of Representatives next week, and the Democrats will have one more vote in the House of Representatives. Joining us now is the Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Governor. Thank you, Lawrence. And uh, thank you for your rousing defense of our beloved state of New York. New York will never be a loser state. So we appreciate your uh, comments at the outset. I mean, when when you know the subject, as you obviously do, uh, it is the easiest case you can possibly make. I mean, this idea that, oh, you know, Donald Trump uh, was they, they enforced the law against Donald Trump. So now billionaires and businesses will flee New York. It's just the easiest possible thing you could respond to. I would say corrupt business people like Donald Trump may not find a nice welcome here in the state of New York. And I'm, that's great with me. We have a great thriving economy here. Literally a few hours ago this afternoon, I was with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, part of the Biden administration, to announce the Biden administration's investment to help an $11 billion new fab Bing Bell to, in uh, upstate New York to cement our leadership in the semiconductor industry. They're here in New York. They're not somewhere else. Same thing with Micron. Micron, with 50,000 jobs, $100 billion investment, is coming to New York. So no matter what is said on stations that no one pays attention to, 
This is the place that businesses want to be. And Donald Trump, I'm sorry you didn't follow the laws. And there are consequences to breaking the laws in the state of New York. Uh, let's go to what Donald Trump uh, has been saying about abortion and not saying, mostly not saying. He's ducking the issue as much as he possibly can. New York Times is reporting what he's really thinking, which is uh, he will sign some kind of federal abortion ban uh, that will be negotiated with Republicans in Congress, uh, exactly what the details of it are. Uh, but what that absolutely means is taking rights away from women in the state of New York, women in California, women in Massachusetts, and dozens of other states. Well, he can run, but he can't hide from his words. And what is coming out now and finally in the public discourse is the stark contrast between the president we have, the president who is committed to women's rights, something here in the state of New York we've been fighting for since the first women's convention in 1848. It's in our DNA to fight for women's rights. So then contrast that with someone Yes, take him at his word. He said he was going to stack the Supreme Court with pro-life justices. He said he was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So why wouldn't we believe him now when he says that if he were to be elected in some doomsday scenario for our country, but if he was the next president of the United States, heaven forbid every woman in this country, regardless of what their governors are trying to do to protect them, would be washed out. They would be losing their rights and to me, that's abhorrent. My mother fought for these rights. I fought for these rights. My daughter and my newborn baby granddaughter should have the rights that were fought for and not stripped away by a man named Donald Trump just because he's pandering to get those votes in contrast to what he said a decade ago. So you can't trust him other than to know that he will do whatever he can to put women in a place where they do not have the decision to make what make the decision about their own body. And that is frightening. Women of this country should be terrified at that prospect. They should be mobilized. And I believe there will be consequences at the ballot box this November, just like we saw in New York 3, this congressional race that the whole country was watching because abortion was on the ballot there on Long Island as well. And all the Long Island Republicans were saying, no, we're going to win this one. It's going to be easy. We've got our candidate. You know, people are angry. They're not happy. I'll tell you what. You put abortion in that conversation and say this person supports and this person opposes, that is a clear line, a demarcation that women, even Republican women, independent women and Democratic women will say, no, that's too far. It stops right now with the next election. Yeah, I was watching my, my view of the campaign uh, on Long Island was local TV news uh, in New York City. And the advertising, mm -hmm. which uh, the Swazi ads and the, the, the advertisements in favor of Democratic candidate Tom Swazi were all on this that I saw were all on this abortion issue, uh, showing once again, as we've seen in, in other uh, special elections and other elections since Roe was overturned, that it is such a powerful driver in these campaigns. I knew it would be. And that's why when I had that conversation with Tom Swazi, who ran a spirited campaign against me. And a lot of people were surprised that I would give him my support because of that. But I'm a Democrat first. I'm an American I just first. want for the national audience to know, he ran against you in the Democratic primary uh, when you were governor uh, running for election this last time. But I'm a Democrat and American first. And I know how important it is that we take back the House of Representatives, to take back our democracy. So Tom Swazi was the person I knew could win. But our conversation first was around the question of, Tom, will you be 
fully supportive of women's rights to choose women's right to have an abortion? He said, absolutely. Absolutely. And I said, well, then you need to run on that. Make that an issue. And he did. And that was the issue, I believe, that helped win the day. So also, when I ran a few years ago, we talked about abortion, my support for abortion, a constitutional amendment, which is now on the ballot this November. But here in the state of New York, a lot of people didn't really think that could ever be jeopardized. So it really didn't rise to people's consciousness as something that's really under threat here when I was running against a Republican member of Congress then. And they said, you're a blue state. You're safe. I think what Donald Trump has done right now by talking about a national ban in a serious way, that this could become the reality, women of even the blue states, the New Yorks, the Californias, the Massachusetts and others, they are the ones who also have to be mobilized to get out there and support their members of Congress, whether they're in a safe seat or a battleground seat. We have a lot of battleground seats right here in New York. The path to the Republican majority being wiped out and the Democrats led by Hakeem Jeffries taking over goes right through New York state. And as the leader of the state party here, I'm taking this seriously. I'm working on the issues that I believe will help us. And one of them is not just abortion, number one, but number two has to be the Republicans' refusal to accept the deal that was negotiated by President Biden, Chuck Schumer, and conservative Republicans in the Senate to help deal with the migration program problem, to help deal with support for Ukraine, to support with Israel. And they said no. And I said, well, once you break it, you own it. So we're going to use that as a wedge issue against them as well this November. There was a solution to border security. Absolutely. Negotiated by conservative Republicans in the Senate, agreed to by Democrats, a compromise agreement on border security to absolutely increase dramatically more than ever before security at the border. And Donald Trump ordered it killed and Republicans in Congress killed it. Uh, New York State has the power in flipping House seats to gain control of the House of Representatives. Can it happen this time with the way this party has unified, as we saw in the Swazi? Absolutely. And you mentioned border control. The last you spoke about our former boss, Senator Daniel mm-hmm. Patrick Moynihan. I worked on the last time we had real immigration for him. Mm-hmm. I was a staffer on his team. I was sent to negotiate with the Republican staffers. Orrin Hatch's staff, Bob Dole's staff. We worked with Ted Kennedy, uh, Jay Rockefeller. We all worked together. And so I still believe that there can be bipartisan solutions. The, the institution is capable of it if you get the right people in there. And I'm going to be working to make sure that we have the right people in there. And also, even before next November's election, when I believe we will pick up the House, the Republicans in the state of New York, and there are 10 of them, they have the power to caucus together, march down to Speaker Johnston's office and say, we demand that you do something about the border, bring it to the floor and we will support it. Use the power that has been given to you because we are being so effective. We have 175,000 migrants who came here. They came here for a better life. They came here for a job. But our city and its resources are absolutely overwhelmed. We need a break. I'm working to get people jobs. They're here. I'm going to make them work and get them jobs. But until then, we need some relief at the border. And those Republicans, even in one state like New York, 10 of them can make this happen. And if they don't, This will be a wedge issue, a forceful issue against them this November as well. So I'm putting them on notice. You broke it. You now own it. Uh, Before you go, I want to ask you something personal about politics that I think uh, is a lesson for voters 
in November, because there are plenty of voters out there right now who voted for Joe Biden last time. They're dissatisfied with some of the things he's done uh, in his presidency. And they're saying, you know, I'm not with him. I'm disappointed in him. I'm not with him for a variety of different reasons. Tom Swasey, who you endorsed, ran a campaign against you, which I am going to call. You don't have to adopt these words. I'm going to call nasty. It was nasty. And it's not the kind of campaign that Democrats run in primaries uh, against individuals in New York State. But you decided to win that seat on Long Island. You were going to support Tom Swasey. Personally, what was that like for you personally, because voters are going to go through experiences like this in November, where they're they're angry with, with the president about the situation in Gaza or something else. And 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 yet they're very strong uh, pro-choice voters. And, and the only choice they have to express that on the ballot is Joe Biden. But they've got that difficulty of I'm angry at him for something. I am sure that there were nights in your life when you were very angry at Tom Swasey when he was running against you. And then the day came when you had to make a decision about what is best for government and what is best uh, for this country in that congressional seat. What is that kind? What does that feel like to go through that kind of decision? As someone who believes in our democratic institutions, who loves this country to my core, I knew that the most important thing I could do was to set aside personal feelings, which are real, we're human beings. We're not robots. But also say, but if he doesn't become the nominee and we don't pick up that seat, I couldn't live with that consequence. Just like the people who are saying, well, I don't agree with Joe Biden 100 percent of the time. I'm telling you, I've been married 40 years. I love my husband. I don't agree with him every minute of the day. So let's not be looking for 100 percent alignment in every issue, but say, Are we better off with Joe Biden, who is a national security president, who understands relationships with foreign leaders, who can get us out of crises, who I spent a lot of time with, who I truly believe in? The money that we're spending on infrastructure and bringing home manufacturing to the United States, that's all because of Joe Biden. Inflation's going down. Unemployment is down. People are back to work. Why can't we say we can agree with them that our place, our country is in a better place because of Joe Biden? And if you don't agree with him 100 percent, Don't just think we're still better off than under Donald Trump. We saw that show before. We had no credibility on the world stage. People laughed at us. They didn't trust us. And now to be even before he would even get elected, that he's saying attack our NATO allies, telling Putin what to do. If that doesn't shake you to your core, I don't think Ronald Reagan would have spoken like that. I don't think our country is ready for that again. So we've been warned. I say people should get together, embrace Joe Biden, say, thank God Joe Biden is our president right now, because that's the only way I can go to bed at night and know that someday my granddaughter and my families will live in a better country because Joe Biden was president and Donald Trump never stepped foot in that White House ever again. Governor Kathy Hochul, cannot thank you enough for joining us here tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up tonight, Donald Trump said that he is suffering as much as Alexei Navalny, who was assassinated by Vladimir Putin last week. That's next. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. 
you can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Donald Trump has still not said one sympathetic word about the assassination of Alexei Navalny in one of Vladimir Putin's prisons last week. But Donald Trump cannot stop comparing his suffering to Alexei Navalny's suffering. Listen to what Donald Trump said tonight on Fox about having a civil judgment returned against him by a New York judge last week. And what you're about to hear, Donald Trump, who is free to do anything he wants every day of his life and flies around on his private plane with jet fuel paid for by gullible campaign contributors and who plays golf whenever he wants and can eat unlimited amounts of whatever he wants whenever he wants it. He compares that life of his to the life of a Russian dissident who devoted himself to opposing Vladimir Putin spent years in prison because of it, was poisoned by Vladimir Putin's operatives in a failed murder attempt, and then, finally, last week, was assassinated in Vladimir Putin's prison. Donald Trump thinks his life and Alexei Navalny's life are the same. It is a form of Navalny. It is a form of... Uh, communism or fascism. He fined me $355 million plus interest and other things. 355. And what we did, in fact, my, my financial statements were conservative. Everybody made money. There was no victim. The bank gets up and says, we love this guy. No one said we love this guy in that trial. No one. Here's what New York State Attorney General Letitia James told ABC News tonight. If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court. And we will ask the judge to seize his assets. They said no victim. No one got harmed. The banks got paid back. So no harm, no foul. Why is that not the case in your view? So financial frauds are not victimless crimes. He engaged in this massive amount of fraud. And it wasn't just a simple mistake, a slight oversight. The variations were wildly exaggerated, and the extent of the fraud was staggering. Donald Trump's first criminal trial is scheduled to begin in New York City with jury selection on Monday, March 25th. Joining us now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and a professor at the University of Alabama School of Law. She is co-host of the podcast Sisters in Law and an MSNBC legal analyst. Uh, and Joyce, uh, we're now in the public discussion of collecting from Donald Trump that massive judgment or what he has to do in order to uh, proceed with an appeal, uh, which is essentially pay the judgment in advance. 
That's right. Donald Trump will have to get a bond that will secure the entire amount of this judgment against him. And Letitia James, no one should mistake her soft-spoken, careful choice of words for anything other than firm steel that is inside of her. She went after this case when people told her it couldn't be done. When she says she intends to collect this judgment, no matter what legal process she has to, to put in place, I think we can believe her. She has a plan. She will execute that plan. And if Trump is forced to uh, sell some of his assets or dissolve some of his assets to satisfy the judgment against him, then she will go to court to ensure that happens. So the sequence we're going to see, though, let's just assume for the moment that Donald Trump is able to come up with the money uh, that allows him to proceed with the appeal. We won't see uh, what happens on the collection end of it until that appeal's over. But because he's already basically put the money in the court's jurisdiction, when he loses that appeal, if he loses that appeal, it's pretty much automatic, isn't it, for that money to be uh, handed over? Well, it is. And the bond, the appeal bond that he has to get, I mean, obviously he could pay the full amount into the court's um, fund, but I think we won't see that happen here. We saw it with the $5 million judgment in the first D. Jean Carroll trial. But he has to post a bond that acts as security for his promise to pay. And if he does not pay, one of the things that the attorney general can do is go ahead and collect from whoever it is that issues the bond. And then it's up to them to go back against Donald Trump for the full amount. One way or the other, though, the state of New York will get its pound of flesh. Yeah, I think uh, people watching this who might have had some experience with some smaller forms of civil litigation are familiar with the notion of, OK, so someone got sued and they owe the money, but then it takes years to collect from them. This is not one of those cases. I think that's right. And to your point, Lawrence, it really is an automatic operation. Once he loses the appeal, assuming that he posts a bond, there's an appeal. The court finds against him, which I think is very likely because this was a tight record in, in the trial court then there is no appeal left to Donald Trump, a way to try to keep the money from being paid. It is simply due and owing at that point in time. And, you know, to your point, because this is automatic, anyone who's going to issue a bond in this case is going to be very certain that Donald Trump has collateral to satisfy the judgment and the amount of risk that they're taking. Joyce Vance, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you. you. And coming up, Republican politicians are now trying to pretend they live in a different country from the rest of us. Our next guest, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, is running against one of those Republicans in her Senate re-election campaign. Senator Tammy Baldwin joins us next. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. In an endorsement of President Joe Biden's re-election campaign reported on this program last night, the Houston Chronicle noted some of the success stories of the Biden presidency. The economy has recovered from the perils of the pandemic and is now healthier than that of any other advanced nation, with unemployment approaching a 50-year low. Inflation is trending downward somehow, despite all dire prophecies of economists without the bitter medicine of a recession or a period of high unemployment. The Biden administration in its first year managed to pass a bipartisan infrastructure investment and jobs act that's expected to add an estimated 1.5 million jobs per year for the next 10 years. Republican politicians are now trying to pretend they live in a different country. So why am I here today? It's really simple. I love my country. And everywhere I look today in my country, I see it failing. That is Eric Hovde, a millionaire banker and real estate developer who has been selected by the Republican Party to run for the Senate seat currently held by Wisconsin Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin. The Associated Press reports Hovde's business empire includes Hovde Properties, a real estate development company founded by his grandfather in 1933 and three banking companies. He is CEO of SunWest Bank, has appeared in television commercials for them that air out west, and owns a $7 million estate in Laguna Beach, California, in addition to his property in Madison. He returned to Madison in 2011 after living in Washington, D.C. for 24 years. Democrats have branded Hovde as a carpetbagger who left his California mansion to run for Senate in Wisconsin, where he was born and raised. Joining our discussion now is Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin. She is a member of the Senate Appropriations Committee and is running for re-election to the United States Senate. Senator Baldwin, thank you very much for joining us tonight. What are the stakes for uh, the people of Wisconsin in a campaign between you and a Republican like this uh, millionaire who's decided to run against you? Yeah, so Mitch McConnell must be thrilled his top recruit said yes. But let's face it, uh, Eric Hovde owns a $2.8 billion California bank, has a $7 million uh, California Laguna Beach mansion, and was named most influential person in Orange County three years in a row. We don't have an Orange County in Wisconsin. We don't grow oranges here. He is definitely uh, uh, a Californian. Um, but not only did Mitch McConnell get a great recruit for their perspective, but he also has somebody who's going to tow the McConnell agenda. Eric Hovde supports a national abortion ban. He supports cutting Social secu Security. And he also wants to overturn or repeal the Affordable Care Act. 
He is going to self-fund. He says he's going to put $20 million of his own money into this race. I cannot self-fund. So anyone watching who wants to help us fight back, go to TammyBaldwin.com. It sounds like he can put in a lot more than $20 million. I think he can. He said uh, he offered that figure up last year when he was uh, considering getting into the race. Now he's in. As I said, they've gotten their top recruit, uh, both because he can self-fund, but also because he uh, maintains these uh, uh, these horrible policy positions that would harm Wisconsinites. We uh, saw the other day that Wisconsin is now finally uh, going to have uh, reasonably drawn electoral maps. This was a 13 year battle. And so uh, in, in that in in that outcome and that kind of uh, aura of victory for Democrats in getting some some uh, fairness there, uh, is there some momentum now for Democrats in Wisconsin? Well, there absolutely is. When you have fair maps, you have uh, good contested races. There are parts of Wisconsin that hasn't had a Democratic candidate for assembly or Senate knock on their door for 13 years. This is going to change with fair maps. We're going to see a lot more contested races. We're going to have conversations at voters' doors uh, that I think get them really involved in the race and to really understand where the candidates stand, like the contrast between me and my California multimillionaire opponent. You know, we think of uh, campaigns as uh, the the sort of coattails theory of campaigning is that the higher names on the ballot uh, draw the voters uh, in. And I'm wondering if this time, because there are real competitive races for the first time in many of these districts for the state legislature, that you could have uh, a more uh, energy coming into the at the lower end of the ballot that then feeds the Democratic side at the top. Well, I do think having fair maps and contested races are really going to uh, mean that we have a lot more involvement. You know, the way races are won oftentimes is conversation by conversation with neighbors as you go doing doors uh, neighbor to neighbor or in the break room at work. And we're going to see a lot more of that happening in Wisconsin because of these new maps. I think there will be uh, renewed energy And uh, I think it's exciting that we could actually have a legislature that represents the voters of Wisconsin. Well, Donald Trump is actually is very much going to hope that there's a Republican senator, uh, another Republican senator in Wisconsin, who's going to support that national abortion ban that he wants to sign if he gets elected. Senator Tammy Baldwin, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up, Alexei Navalny's widow believes Vladimir Putin will not release Alexei Navalny's body unless and until the people who murdered him in a Russian prison can remove any possible traces of poison from the body. Alexei Navalny's devoted friend, Michael McFall, will join us next. Today, White House National Security spokesperson John Kirby said this. In response to President Biden's direction, we will be announcing a major sanctions package on Friday of this week to hold Russia accountable for what happened to Mr. Navalny and, quite frankly, for all its actions over the course of this vicious and brutal war that has now raged on for two years. One of the most powerful things that we can do right now to stand up to Vladimir Putin, of course, is to, again, pass the bipartisan national security supplemental bill. 
and support Ukraine as they continue to fight bravely in defense of their country. Alexei Navalny's widow posted this video yesterday. Three days ago, Vladimir Putin killed my husband, Alexei Navalny. Putin killed the father of my Путин отнял самое дорогое, что у меня было, самого близкого и самого любимого человека. Но еще Путин отнял Навального у вас. Моего мужа было не сломить, и ровно поэтому Путин его и убил. Позорно, трусливо, так и не решившись взглянуть ему в глаза или просто назвать его имя. И также подло и трусливо они сейчас прячут его тело, не показывают его матери, не отдают. И жалко врут и выжидают, когда там исчезнут следы очередного путинского новичка. Мы знаем, из-за чего конкретно Путин убил Алексея три дня назад. Мы скоро вам об этом расскажем. Мы обязательно узнаем и то, кто именно и как именно исполнил это преступление. Мы назовем фамилии и покажем лица. Но главное, что мы можем сделать для Алексея и для себя, это продолжать бороться. She also said she believes Vladimir Putin is holding her husband's body to wait for traces of poison to leave the body. Alexei Navalny's 69-year-old mother traveled to the Arctic prison colony where Navalny was murdered, where it is 14 degrees Fahrenheit. She pleaded for her son's body to be released. Joining us now is Michael McFall, who served as U.S. ambassador to Russia from 2012 to 2014 for President Obama. He is an MSNBC international affairs analyst and a close friend of Alexei Navalny. Michael, I feel like you have been... Uh, in a wake on television, forced by us uh, onto television in, in what would otherwise be a wake for you uh, in dealing with the loss of your friend. I, I'd like you to first speak about how this has affected you personally, if you can. Well, Lawrence, I've had the pleasure and privilege in my life to meet a lot of courageous people around the world. Here at Stanford, I teach courses on democratic breakthroughs. Uh, so I've read about a lot of courageous historic figures, and Alexei Navalny was certainly one of them in my in my view. He was the Mandela of, of Russia, Havel, uh, Valenza, take your pick. Only different from all three of them, he didn't live to see, he didn't live to get out of prison to see democratic breakthrough in his country, and that's the tragedy here. Um, it's it's been hard. I was with Yulia. I was with his wife the night before they killed him in Munich. Uh, we had planned to meet the next day for coffee, and then she called me that morning to tell me this horrific news. Uh, but as you just showed in that clip, she said to all of us, "We have to fight on." Um, and most certainly, she is the person. She is strong, tough as nails, uh, very principled, smart. Uh, she is the new leader. She has picked up the baton and she is not quitting. So that to me is a challenge that I have to do what I can, including to be on your show right now to tell the world about uh, who Alexei Navalny was and what his movement will become. Uh, Donald Trump uh, clearly doesn't understand anything about Alexei Navalny. Uh, he compared himself tonight on Fox to uh, Alexei Navalny and the suffering that Alexei Navalny has gone through. He also said that uh, that it, he did use the word brave, saying that 
Navalny was brave to go back to Russia after they poisoned him and after he recovered. And Trump couldn't understand at all, not a bit, why anyone would go back to Russia where there was clear danger. Well, that's the difference between brave people and and, uh, not brave people. I'm trying to use a diplomatic word there. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was in touch with Alexei during that period. Uh, There was no question he was going back. He wasn't going to be denied his country. He loved Russia. He loved Russians. Uh, He wanted Russia to be great and democratic and free. And he had the audacity to believe that Russians should get to vote for their leaders. He had the audacity to believe that there was a different kind of Russia than Vladimir Putin's. And I got to tell you, there's a lot. Of, there were a lot of cynical people around him that said, stop being such a dreamer. Uh, that's not going to happen in this country. And he refused to listen to that. And of course, he has now given the ultimate sacrifice to those dreams but those dreams haven't died. I want to be really clear about that. Uh, a, a, man, a dictator can kill a man with a bullet, but he can't kill his ideas. And I am sure, I don't know how long it will be, but I know that his ideas will live longer than Putin's ideas. And that's because of the courageous man that Alexei Navalny was. Ambassador Michael McFall, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. The Honorable Michael McFall gets tonight's last word. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.